Hello, my name is Trevor, and here at CSF, our mission is to seek God, serve others, and engage the campus. I have a few announcements today. Um, we're going to start with small groups. Um, if you're not yet involved with a small group, uh, please sign up. Uh, you can go to icucsf.com and navigate to the small groups uh, page. It's a great way to uh, learn more about God and also uh, fellowship with one another. Um, on Wednesdays and Sundays is our live stream. Um, if you want to um, watch those, uh, you can go to our YouTube page, um, ISUCSF, and um, be, be there. Uh, after Wednesday nights, uh, since we're, we're still not in person yet, um, we're having a Zoom hangout after our Wednesday service. Um, usually around 9.45 or so is when that starts, and we'll be, the link will be posted on the Facebook page. Um, but it's a great way, again, to kind of recap what we learned in service and also to, to uh, get to know one, each other, one another. And also, uh, be looking out for uh, guys and girls retreats um, coming up uh, here in the next uh, month or so. Um, so I think that's all I have, and have a great rest of your Sunday. Thanks.
Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, it's great to have you with. So glad that you're participating with us online. And we are looking forward to the day that we get to be together um, in person and just like get to see each other's faces and worship together in that way. Um, I'm Adam. Um, I'm one of the campus ministers here. And uh, if I haven't ever met you before, I just want to let you know that I can't wait to be able to do that and uh, would love to be able to connect uh, and meet sometime uh, in the future. So uh, we're just glad you all are here. Uh, thanks for being here. Um, if you are interested in having uh, any of the, the teaching notes for what I'm about to talk about, uh, you can check down in the description here. Um, and also there's some links there for uh, different things to sign up for and to get more information about what's going on at CSF. So almost 10 years ago, um, Aaron was pregnant with, with Violet, our firstborn, um, and I came down with pneumonia uh, in both of my lungs and had to be hospitalized. And I actually had to be on a ventilator for about three days. Um, and one of the things when, when I came off of the ventilator, came awake, and began that recovery process, um, it, it seems like a small thing, but one of the things that was a really huge obstacle um, right at the beginning of my recovery was, was a lack of appetite. Um, I, I literally couldn't stomach any real food. Um, even the liquid diet that um, they had put me on, you know, right away. But you know, even after three days, my my body had had weakened and atrophied. Um, and but the, but the fact was that I, I couldn't be force fed food anymore. Um, it it just wasn't working like that. I needed to actually ingest real food. And even though I knew that mentally, um, I knew it mentally. It I couldn't force myself. Uh, to do that, to, to get the strength to recover. And it took a lot longer than we wanted for me to put into practice the act of eating something solid and something real. There's this point in Hebrews 5 where we're at today where the author talks about um, spiritual nourishment. Um, the author puts it bluntly that to the readers that, that they're writing to, um, that they should be eating what the author calls solid food um, but they're stuck drinking milk, spiritually speaking. And basically, they're spiritual babies. Um, and the author's desire is for them to grow up, um, to be mature in their faith. But, but there's this problem. Um, but we'll see what that is in time. Um, I, I'm challenging this today because uh, we, can stand, we can stand far off, you know, as, as uh, people today in our age. And we can point at those initial readers uh, that, that were written to in this, this book and, you know, call them spiritual babies. Um, but I, I wonder what the author would say about us. I wonder if the author would say the same thing to us, like, Hey, you're still drinking spiritual milk. Um, but you need to dig into the solid food. And I just question that, um, like where, where we're at, are we living as infants of the faith or are we digging into solid food um, and maturity? I'm challenging this today because uh, um, it's just a really, really good teaching from the writer of Hebrews, um, pushing us into deeper and deeper faith and practice of our faith uh, in Jesus. So um, I, I want to read this today. Uh, I'm going to have this on the screen for us to read through. And uh, we're going to come back around to that idea. And we're going to start actually in chapter 4 verses 14 to get the context of what it is here.
Awesome. So asking this question here today, are we spiritual babies or are we growing toward maturity? Um, are we stuck in the infant phase or are we in some kind of like arrested development um, in our faith or are we moving closer to Jesus and striving to do that and like working out our faith uh, in our lives as we experience his presence and as we, we like practice these things that he's called us to? The author says in verse 11, it's, it's hard to make clear to you because you no longer try to understand. And other translations that I studied through this, this last week talk about like being dull of hearing and like, how is our hearing right now? How is your hearing right now? Are you hearing as you read into the word? Um, are you dull of hearing? Are, are we listening to the Holy Spirit speak into our lives? Uh, I think these questions are things that we need to, to mull over. Um, we've had three kids who there's a good chance you've heard in the background or will in this video um, as I'm shooting at home today. But um, we've had three kids and they're all, you know, moved into the solid food stage, even though they're children still. We've seen them move from that, like coming out and being a brand new baby, newborn, only being able to drink milk and then like starting to add in like a little bit of cereal into the milk. It's soft and like this puree type stuff. Um, and then like testing the waters of like, oh, can they eat this bread, you know, that's kind of soft, but starting to move solid until they're finally, you know, eating full on food with us. And, um, and I have to say, it's like a glorious day as a, pre as a parent, when, um, a kid can feed themselves and are able to like, here's your plate and they're able to feed themselves and get that nourishment on their own. You don't have to feed them by your, by a spoon, um, all the time. And, and I, I think that there's like something very, very connected to that about like what God wants for us. Um, he, he, he wants us to mature and to grow in that way. Um, followers of Jesus are meant to mature and grow in faith and action. And there's times when following Jesus is new, um, new to us. And some of you may be there and you're like spiritually learning how to walk um, there's times when we're like spiritual teens, and again, some of you may be there where like you've been doing this for a little bit, but you're still um, learning some, uh, some of the basics and kind of like getting your independence and, and such in your faith. Um, and there's times when we are in that maturity kind of place. Um, as an aside, you know, this is like one of my soapboxes, um, we never arrive. Like we're never like, oh, I'm, I am now a mature Christian. Um, we always are growing more and more and more with Jesus and we need to be striving to, to know him more and to walk with him more and to live out our lives more as like these acts of worship and, and obedience and, and all of these things. Um, this closer walk with Jesus is something we strive for. Um, John speaks into this like maturing process in, in 1 John 2 and I, I really love um, how he writes this, and he actually has a little more about it you can check out, but in 1 John 2.12, um, he says this, he says, I'm writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. And I'm writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. And we see these different kind of places of maturity. Um, none of them are like better than the other, um, because everybody's in their own process of moving closer to Jesus. Um, they're different stages, um, but the goal always is that we move closer to Jesus as time goes on, that we mature in our faith over time, that our faith is lived out more and more in love and action. And this is all rooted in the mercy of our great high priest, Jesus. The reason that we can hold firmly to the confession and why we can approach the throne of grace with confidence that we talked about in chapter four is because Jesus completely fulfills the role as the high priest for us. 
Now, some of you uh, may know this, this may just be recap for a lot of you, but the Jewish high priest had a unique privilege to go into the Holy of Holies, the like most holy place of the temple, one day each year on the Day of Atonement, um, or Yom Kippur. Um, they would purify themselves um, through abstaining from certain things. Uh, they would uh, have like certain washings, they would have these rituals, they, and they would sacrifice on behalf of themselves because they were sinful people also. Um, and then they would go into the most holy place and, and there would have been the sacrifice made and they would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat um, that, that sat between like the, the like sculpture of the cherubim that are like above uh, these or sculpture of these angels that are above and um, the Ark of the Covenant where like the law sat, which kind of this place called the mercy seat and they would sprinkle the blood for the sake of the people um, to for the like expiation of their sons. Um, and a typical high priest had to do this year after year, after year, after year, after year, throughout the whole era of the tabernacle and the temple and all of this. But Jesus is the greater high priest that finishes the need for the sacrifice. And we're going to talk about this later on in the letter, but Jesus plays the part of a perfect high priest and the perfect sacrifice in this scenario. And I would go so far as to say that the priestly duties year after year for the Israelites were pointing to this final and complete sacrifice from Jesus, who is the perfect high priest and the perfect lamb for us. Now, you may be wondering as you read this, as we read through this, like, who in the world is Melchizedek? Like, who is this person that Jesus is supposedly in the order of as a priest? And honestly, we don't know a ton about Melchizedek. It's, it's kind of mysterious. Um, Melchizedek is mentioned here, um, and we're going to see a mention of him in Hebrew 6 and in Hebrew 7. Um, and then the psalm that uh, was being referenced here, um, Psalm 110, um, we see some things about Melchizedek. And I, I want to read some snippets from that here. Uh, the, David says this, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor. Your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, for a little homework, which I know you need because uh, you're not doing anything, but but very short section, at the end of Matthew 22, Jesus speaks into this idea He's not talking about Melchizedek, but he's talking about this psalm, and it connects deeply. And I do want you to look at that this week and just take a look and kind of like connect some of the dots here as Jesus explains um, surrounding the, the idea surrounding the psalm and himself. But back to Melchizedek a little bit in the meantime. The other place that we see Melchizedek outside of Hebrews and Psalm 110 is kind of the like origination of him in Genesis 14, and he's part of Abraham's story. If some of you maybe uh, dug a little deeper in the God's Redemptive Story small group when we talked about Abraham last week, you may have come across this. But in Genesis 14, Abraham had been uh, had taken part in um, like a war because some people of his had been taken captive, and he returned victorious from that. And as he did, this guy Melchizedek, who is who is said to be the king of Salem, comes out to meet him. Um, and Melchizedek, so he, he is a king, um, and Salem, like Hannah's son Salem, um, means peace, uh, it's translated peace. So Melchizedek is the king of peace, um, and he's also said to be a priest of God. And he comes out, and one of the things that he does is he blesses Abraham. He, he kind of like reiterates this blessing that God has made for Abraham, and Abraham gives him a tithe of the spoil that he had brought back from this battle, which is very interesting. Abraham tithing to God through Melchizedek. Now, we're going to come back to this kind of mysterious person in a few weeks and talk more about him, but I wanted to touch on him just a little as we think of Jesus as our perfect high priest because the author here is you know, talking about um, Jesus is in the order of him. So we need to kind of figure that out. 
Melchizedek was not just a priest of God Most High, but he was also the king of peace. Priests and kings in in Israel, those both didn't really, those didn't happen. You're, those were mutually exclusive titles. You had kings, you had priests, you had prophets. And Jesus, though, fulfills all three of those roles. Um, Melchizedek was the king of peace. Jesus is our prince of peace. Um, Abraham was the ancestor of the, the priesthood. Um, you know, he was long, Abraham was long before we had a priesthood that came out of Levi. And, but we see Melchizedek being priest before that Jewish priesthood. And Abraham, the father of the covenant with God, tithes to him. Jesus in the gospel says, before Abraham was, I am. Now, these are some of the reasons that the scriptures say that Jesus is our perfect high priest that makes sacrifice for our sins and is in the order of Melchizedek. Um, But I want to leave that hanging there until we come back in a few weeks to talk about that some more. The writer of Hebrews talks about the submission and obedience of Jesus the Son to God the Father during his life and ministry. And then in turn calls us in our love for him to follow him, Jesus, in obedience And that obedience to the Lord learned um, through practice and experience is where we mature. Uh, The writer in verse 14 said, But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And I want to go down this line of thinking about training for a moment of like, kind of in like the idea of like athletic training or like working out or like building up physically um, in those ways. Jesus says in Luke 640, students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. Christian, like kind of literally means little Christ, right? Like, like Christ. We follow Jesus and we imitate Jesus and we become more like him as we have the experience and practice of living in the ways that he has called us to. Um, We learn to forgive better by doing the tough work of forgiving and like choosing to do that and learning from that and learning and it becomes easier. It becomes like a muscle memory to forgive people. Um, We learn to love our neighbor more by doing the work of showing love to our neighbors and creating that spiritual muscle memory as we work that out and work out our faith. We learn holiness by choosing to struggle against the things that tempt us rather than bowing to them. And again, creating that spiritual muscle memory. Um, Paul says this to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others that I myself may be disqualified. And he says to Timothy also, he kind of uses these athletic terms here with Timothy in 1 Timothy 4. Train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and the life to come. Our hope and salvation are founded in our great high priest. Um, It's by grace through faith in him. And our continued response as we follow hard after him is to practice trust and intentionality as an act of love. This is how we are to be sure that we don't get dull of hearing by practicing obedience and by following God with an open posture. So how do we train? How do we train with that constant use to not be dull of hearing? Um, firstly, we remember. We remember the, the promises that God has made. We remember how in scripture he followed through on every good promise that he had made. And we also remember how he has moved in our lives, how he has shown up for us in our times of need and the way that he has provided for us, and the way that he has has blessed us, and the way that he has seen us through tough things. So we remember, first of all, 
we start by remembering. That's a, that's a point of training. Um, another one, very simple and something that, that I feel like is rudimentary at this point, but I need to say is that we focus regularly with, with just having time with the Lord. Um, that we, we do that intentionally. We don't let that go by. We don't let a day go by without spending time with him relationally in this way of like, like sitting down and he has given us his words that have been compiled into these Bibles that we have. And we can, we can spend time dwelling on his words. We can spend time listening. We can spend time speaking to him in prayer. Uh, we can spend time telling him, uh, like honoring him in worship and praising him in that way. Um, we, we can do things like fasting or, or having time of silence and solitude or, or whatever we need to do um, in those things to be able to regularly, intentionally like spend time with God and give him that time. And this is uh, like the nutrition part. If we're going to keep up with that illustration, that's like our, our nourishment is those things. Finally, we need to be intentional about putting the work in. Whether it's being proactive about the things like practicing forgiveness or serving others or seeking justice or about proactively wrestling against temptations like lust and gossip and anger and lies. This is the workout where we get stronger and we build endurance. It's that muscle memory that I kind of mentioned earlier that as we have constant use that we're trained through these things. Eugene Peterson calls the Christian life a long obedience in the same direction. He actually wrote a book that's titled that. It's very good. Um, Because we have this great high priest in Jesus, we are enabled to train and grow and mature in him in this long obedience in this direction toward him. I want to mention too, like if this is all new to you, um, if it's like following Jesus, like great high priest, like what, what is all this stuff? Um, I would love to be able to, to talk with you um, if, if like turning your life to Jesus, like surrendering to him, following him is something that, that you're feeling led into and like something that you want to do. Um, I, would, I would love to speak with you or any of our student leaders or our staff um, would do that as well. Um, you can connect with us um, yeah, through a link in the description. Um, if you are, feel like now is the time to commit my life to him. Or now is the time to, to be baptized into Jesus. If that's something you've never done, um, that's something you can do as well. And we would love to talk to you about that. Um, you can always connect with me at adam at isucsf.com. Um, or like I said, talk to any of our leaders or, uh, or staff. Um, but I, I just want to invite you into that. And today, um, for all of us, as we take this time for prayer, um, I, I just want to spend some time thanking Jesus that he fulfills this thing of being our great high priest for us, this perfect sacrifice for us. And also just pray that we would have the motivation and endurance to to literally train um, in following him. Um, so let's pray together uh, and then we'll, we'll move on to our time of, of remembering what Jesus has done for us. Uh, Lord, we love you. Uh, I'm just really thankful God, for this time, thankful for these students. And even though I'm not able to see them in person right now, um, I know that you're working in their lives. And Father, I just pray that you would help them to have peace during this time, that you would help them uh, to stand firm. You'd help them to hold fast to you. And God, I just pray for all of us that you would help us to um, to like mature and grow, not, not to be stuck as like spiritual infants, but that you would help us to grow in you uh, as we look to you as our great high priest who finished it, who completed it, who, who laid down his life for us and made a way for us to be back in right relationship with God the Father. Thank you for that. Thank you for making us righteous. And, and justifying us and sanctifying us and, and all, the, all these things that you do, Lord. Um, thank you for that, for giving us new life. And we just praise you for that. And I just ask that you help us as we live out our lives intentionally for you.
We love you, Lord, and it's in your name. Amen. Hey guys, this week for communion, I'd like us to reflect on one of the letters Paul wrote to the Corinthians, uh, this church in particular that he was writing to in this part had not been performing communion correctly. They'd been abusing it as an excuse to drink wine and eat a lot of food. And Paul goes in and tells them about what Jesus had shared with the disciples during the Last Supper and also the consequences that could come from doing communion wrong. Um, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 27. Uh, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. So in this... Paul is warning the Corinthians that performing communion selfishly and not in remembrance of Jesus and in thanking him for the new covenant is considered a sin to the Lord. And it's important that we, when we do communion, that we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us and remember uh, all the sin that he's forgiven.
Tell me what to do.